0: Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBS pod is for you. Episode 133, FGM, Female Genital Mutilation. This episode has come to life because of a request from Joanna, who's a midwifery lecturer in Birmingham. She told me that she shared her podcast with her student midwives and she wondered if I would do an episode on FGM. And apologies, Joanna, because it's taken me quite a long time. But here we go. I'm hoping that this episode will be useful, both for maternity staff, but also Women that have experienced FGM. But I am also aware that discussing it could trigger some people. So please only listen to this if you feel ready and able to take it in. I work in an area of the country where I don't see that many women with FGM. So again, this is not an all encompassing guide. As usual, this is my thoughts and some signpostings to some resources that I hope will be helpful. I think we should start by talking about what FGM is and what is the scale of the problem. There is a really good e-learning for health module, actually. And to brush up my knowledge for this episode, I worked through it this week. In doing so, I was quite shocked to discover that there's an estimated 200 million girls living with FGM. And these girls or women are mainly from 29 different countries in Africa, although FGM is practised in other parts of the world as well. And there's a huge variation in rates across Africa from less than 5% in some countries to 90 to 100% in others. That's global. But what about the UK? In the training, there's some data that around 1.5% of women giving birth in the UK have had FGM. It's a little out of date because that's from 2008. But that equates to over 137,000 women affected in the UK. I must admit I was a bit stunned by those figures probably because of where I work I don't appreciate that it's as common as it is. What do we mean by FGM? Well we divide it into types and the type is important because of the impact it can have on a woman. There are four types The first type is clitoridectomy. That means removing part or all of the clitoris. Type two is called excision, where all or part of the clitoris is removed and the inner labia, that's the lips that open around the vagina. And the outer lips, the labia majora, may also have been removed. Type 3 infibulation is actively narrowing the vaginal opening by creating a seal. This is formed by cutting and repositioning the labia. And type 4 is other harmful procedures to the female genitals including pricking, piercing, cutting or scraping or even burning the area. So there's quite a lot of variation in what we describe as FGM. And There's also considerable variation in what age it may be done at. 50% will be done between birth and five years as a very young child. The rest will be done between five and 15 years. FGM is important in the physical care of the women we look after. Yes, we have to remember that FGM is illegal in this country and it's also illegal for a child to be taken abroad for this practice to be undertaken. But first and foremost, we're health practitioners. Our duty is to the care of that woman in front of us. In maternity care, we need to ask all women, about this, regardless of where they're from. And it can be helpful to frame this in the context of their physical health, as emphasised by one when I spoke to her in the City of Sanctuary episode. Her midwife addressed it in a sensitive way because one wasn't aware that this was illegal or that this was unusual, in the UK. But addressing it through her physical needs of, we're going to care for you and look after you in pregnancy, made her able to understand that this was an important examination. Women that have had FGM may have physical complications as a result, both in the immediate time of having had the FGM, but also later on, at the point at which we are likely to meet her in maternity care. She may have chronic pain from the procedure. She may have an increased chance of urinary tract infections. And she may have sexual dysfunction, sexual problems. Problems with being touched in her genital area and also, the effects of trauma on her mental health. Therefore, whilst we need to ask the question, we also need to do so in a sensitive, caring, and compassionate fashion. For me, the consultation is slightly easier because the midwives have had that first conversation at booking. When a woman comes to me, it's already been flagged to me by the midwife that she may be here to discuss fgm although in my experience it's not always the case that the woman realizes that's why she's been sent to see me so the same sensitivities and care in communication of course apply just as they do in any interaction i find it hard to breach with women the fact that it's illegal, because as well as having a physical duty of care, we have to think about the unborn baby. What if that baby's a girl? Is she going to be expected to undergo the same FGM as her mother? But in my experience, when I talk to women that have undergone FGM they are very clear that they would never subject their child to what they themselves have been subjected to. But it's not always that simple. And we do have a role to play in discussing with women what the expectations are, not only of herself, but her wider family, because this may be culturally expected and we have to gently explain that this is an illegal practice and realise that whilst she may not wish this to happen to her child, other members of her family may still have that expectation and we need to provide help and support and signposting to resources and if necessary, referral to the relevant safeguarding authorities if we think this child could be at risk. If we unpick why FGM happens, it's for cultural reasons. There can be a misconception that this is a religious practice, but actually... If you unpick it, there is no religious reason to go ahead with FGM. And it's not only that it's unacceptable and illegal in this country. The World Health Organization has a programme to attempt to eliminate FGM and has clear guidance for healthcare workers about how they might help, support doing this, and clear statements on the rationale as to why this is not an acceptable practice. There are no health benefits, and it can cause health problems. Their resources are printed in a range of languages, and it may be helpful to share this information and talk through it with women if they are feeling like this is something that is UK-based only and a lack of understanding by us of their cultural background. Let's imagine now I've got a woman in front of me who's been sent to see me because she has FGM. I need to examine her because I need to establish what degree of FGM she has, but it can be difficult to broach the topic. And we also need to be careful about language, FGM, female genital mutilation. That's not something that is easy to talk about. Mutilation brings a value judgment. And I also have to bear in mind that the woman in front of me, English may not be her first language. And indeed, I could even be having this conversation via an interpreter, which is far from ideal, because the nuances and the care with which I communicate could be lost. Women may describe it as being cut or cutting, or a special ceremony, so I will probably start the conversation by saying that the midwife noted that she had been cut at some point in the past, and that I need to know a little bit more so I can be sure that she's okay and safe during her pregnancy and that this isn't going to have an impact on her pregnancy or giving birth to her baby, particularly if it's her first baby. In my experience, this gives me an opening, and the women will then talk about it as much or as little as they want to. I will then follow up with, would it be okay if I could gently take a look and see how things are because in that way I can decide whether we need to give you any treatment during pregnancy or whilst giving birth to your baby. Don't forget that non-verbal communication is a really key component. The woman's got to trust me to look at her most intimate part of her body So eye contact, active listening, all those good communication skills are really important. Giving the woman some privacy in which to undress and prepare herself. Giving her a chaperone, someone else in the room, to maybe hold her hand, make her feel safe. The importance of touch to reassure her a midwife, to stand and be with her perhaps, or support worker, or maybe she's got a relative with her. And then I will start by just looking, not touching at all, and then if I need to touch, warning the woman that I'm going to touch her, asking her if she's ready for me to touch her. Afterwards, giving her time to get dressed sort herself out, and then sitting down and having a consultation, explaining to her what type of FGM she has. After all, it's very difficult to examine yourself. And all women, if you go back to my episode anatomy lesson, often have very little knowledge of their own genitalia. So to explain clearly what type of FGM she has and what I think the impact will be on her giving birth, if any, asking her has she had problems with urine infections because this is really important in pregnancy and we need to be very vigilant with our urine dips sending things off to the lab and making sure we give her treatment because urine infections can have a negative impact on the pregnancy, including the possibility of triggering preterm birth. Checking if she needs any psychological support. Does she need a referral to talking therapy or the perinatal mental health service? Is she triggered or got trauma? Is she having sexual difficulties? And this may all be too much to discuss in one consultation, so this may be something that I need to drip through a series of appointments when I've built a bit of trust and rapport. And I would say that's the same for the midwives. If we practice continuity of care in an ideal world, this won't be the only time you're seeing this woman. You'll have a chance to say to her, we can discuss this further at your next appointment. we can discuss this later in pregnancy, when you're closer to giving birth. We may need to address issues around vaginal examinations in labour. Is she going to find those difficult? Do we need a strategy to try and avoid those? Does she have issues around vaginismus? Does she need some psychological support? to help her prepare. We could also talk to her about perineal massage. Would that be helpful if she gets used to touching herself? Could that help protect her perineum and reduce the chance of her needing an episiotomy and therefore further experiencing trauma in the genital area? What if she has type 3 FGM? infibulation. This needs addressing. This is where the entrance to the vagina has actively been narrowed and this needs separating. Ideally this should be done as an elective procedure during the pregnancy, during the antenatal period and if the woman is booked and is receiving antenatal care then it's possible to arrange this either with local or regional anesthetic can open up the labia and expose the vagina because without that the vagina may not be big enough for her to give birth and she may experience obstructed labor as a result if however a woman has just arrived in this country or booked late for whatever reason she hasn't been seen in the antenatal period and she presents in labor then this may need to be undertaken in second stage with appropriate pain relief this is called deinfibulation it's not a reversal of the FGM because the tissue that's been removed cannot be replaced and it will not undo the damage that's been caused. But it is reopening up the vagina, opening that scar tissue. This may help her pass urine effectively or have sex or be able to birth her baby. What's my zesty bit? I think my zesty bit is, for health professionals, there's lots of really good training on this. It's not unexpected that we might feel that this is a difficult topic to talk about. If you have access to the NHS e-learning for healthcare, then there's a great learning module with videos that you can undertake to increase your knowledge and make you more comfortable with having these conversations. There's also a great little animation, which is actually based on having a cervical smear test prompting the discussion. But many of the things discussed in that little animation are relevant to maternity care as well. So if you're a healthcare worker, Explore the resources I've shared in the programme notes. Try and think about being comfortable having these conversations. Essentially, if you're compassionate and kind, think carefully about your body language. Give a woman time, don't rush her. Try and ask open questions. And be aware that these women may be very traumatised, embarrassed and sensitive. Address things through the medical model. We need to understand this. We need to examine you. We need to talk about this so that I can look after you properly during your pregnancy and your birth. If you're a woman listening to this and you've undergone FGM and you want to understand a bit better what's happened to you and what the health impact is. I've signposted you to some resources. Don't be frightened to talk to your midwife or obstetrician about any resulting difficulties. We really are here to care for you and not to judge. If we can talk to you and understand what's happened to you, then we can care for you more effectively. All we want to do is give you the best possible care we can, both with your physical health, but also your mental health. And we also want to help you so that if you have a girl, your baby is a daughter, we can try and break the chain and make sure that she doesn't undergo the trauma, distress and physical pain that you have. Finally, on the NHS website, there's a list of national FGM support clinics. Whether you're a member of staff working in maternity services or a woman who's experienced FGM, contacting one of these clinics for advice, help, support, whatever it is you need that's the place to go. These support clinics contain expert clinicians, so use them. That's what they're there for. I very much hope you found this episode of the ObsPod interesting. If you have, it'd be fantastic if you could subscribe, rate and review on whatever platform you find your podcasts. As well as recommending the Obspod to anyone you think might find it interesting. There's also tons of episodes to explore in my back catalogue from clinical topics, my career and journey as an obstetrician and life in the NHS more generally. I'd like to assure women I care for that I take confidentiality very seriously and take great care not to use any Patient identifiable information, unless I have expressly asked the permission of the person involved on that rare occasion when it's been absolutely necessary. If you found this episode interesting and want to explore the subject a little more deeply, don't forget to take a look at the programme notes where I've attached some links. If you want to get in touch to suggest topics for future episodes, you can find me at The Obspod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can email me TheObspod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.